Welcome to the Classic Anglican Podcast. Join us as we explore classic Anglicanism through thoughtful and informative conversation within the bounds of the Christian faith once received. I'm your host, Canon Zachary. The Reverend Canon Dr. Marshall McClellan currently serves at the Pentagon as the Joint Chiefs of Staff Deputy Chaplain, Office of the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He advises and assists on the constitutional free exercise of religion and related matters impacting the Department of Defense, service personnel, and their families. He served as a Methodist minister from 1987 to 2010, receiving holy orders as an Anglican priest in 2011. He was commissioned in 1998 as a reserve chaplain and entered active duty in 2002. He has 22 years of combined service. He received his Master of Divinity from Duke University and his Doctor of Ministry in Pastoral Leadership from Asbury Theological Seminary. Canon Marshall and his wife Christy have been married for 34 years and have five children. Canon Marshall, it's great to have you on the Classic Anglican Podcast. It's my privilege. Uh, Ken and Zach, this is such a joy. I have enjoyed every podcast that I've listened to. I've listened to all of them. Uh, I, I tell you what, I will never watch James Bond the same way as I did when I when I heard the uh, marvelous illustration of uh, you know of, of how that affects our Anglican Church and uh, just Canon Harden and all of the deep sacramental pieces and Bishop Mike and the various ones have and and so uh, I am very humbled uh, and uh, am. Uh, and just delighted to be here to uh, to add hopefully something to the mix. Well, I think you're going to add quite a bit to the mix here, Canon Marshall, and we're so thankful to have you on the show. Thank you for those kind words. And I too don't ever look at at James Bond the same way when we start talking about Anglicanism. Doctor soon to be Doctor Seth Snyder, PhD candidate, was bringing some some heat on that one. And I thought it was pretty good myself. Hey, we're highlighting your journey in Anglicanism and your early life saw several providential encounters with God, but uh, both before you could remember and as a young boy and in your journal article for the JFAC journal in our St. Augustine issue in 2021, you made a tongue in cheek reference to entropy concerning your faith but that actually uh, is a pretty good description uh, for many of us. What is it like growing up in a home where the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Uh, thank you, Ken Zach, and and that is true. And uh, just to be able to to say first and foremost, from my perspective, I'm like the perfect poster child for for the absolute benevolent grace of God that's been lavished on a poor, miserable sinner like me. And that, that, that benevolent grace most profoundly started its effect, uh, in the sacrament of baptism. Uh, you know, as I related my article, you know, at, at a very young age before I can remember, uh, God was already infusing blessing in me. And then of course the sacramental blessing of confirmation, which is still sacramental. We understand it that way, uh, beautifully, uh, so there's nothing about me personhood-wide that rate, rates God's marvelous favor. Boy, but he bathed on me Christ's life. So um, as I related my article uh, of the landscape, a little bit about my years growing up, 
But two things that I didn't include that really add to a, a fuller piece of just how marvelous God's grace is, uh, is, is a couple of things. One, uh, that I was born with a very pronounced cleft lip. So uh, 1961, uh, when I was born, uh, last century, <laughs> the plastic surgery wasn't much there. Uh, it was still in experimental stages. And so Dr. UK Witz at the University of Florida there at Shands uh, did his best to, to piece together my face. Um, so, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, I had that facial scar that every kid loves to make fun of. So if you've seen the new Karate Kid movie uh, with, you know, with all the kids, and there's one kid there with spiky hair, cleft lip, and lots of attitude, ready to take on the world, well, you know, that was me. So during high school, rode a motorcycle, wore a black leather jacket, weightlifting team, and carried a switchblade. <laughs> I don't think I'd survive in today's schools to be able to, but uh, that's kind of what, that's what God had to work with. Um, but uh, the second thing that I had left out was that my mom, uh, from heredity, had struggled with depression due to some psychological, so, uh, physiological issues. So growing up in a divorced family, I was pretty much left to supervise myself, even as a, you know, from four to, to seven, I pretty much, you know, had free reign and free run. Um, and my stepfather, when my, my parents, my mother remarried, was, um, you know, he had two jobs, so firefighter and, and doing other things. So I pretty much had the run of the mill. So given these two things in combination, boy, without God's grace watching over me, I didn't stand a chance. And so I really feel that poster child of, you know, God's sacramental love through the sacrament of baptism uh, was the key. Uh, but I also wanted to, to share that, you know, this angry, lonely kid that I was without supervision, you know, what, what are the things that kind of held me together um, that God infused? Well, first of all, my mom, she, she had issues, but she is a saint and she prayed for me. She's a faithful believer. Uh, even though she had a chemical imbalance and, and we had some problems as a kid. But also my grandparents. I, my grandparents on my mother's side were, were faithful believers. They were Methodists. And I actually lived with them as a kid because uh, of that uh, dip, difficult situation at home. And they would take me to the Methodist church like not, not every week. I mean like every, like every other day it seemed like. We were going to different events and and I wanted to tell you that, uh, that one of the great ways that God worked in me were the nursery workers. I mean, I, I remember those. One of my first memories is being in the nursery. So I'm like five, four or five, and I'm in the nursery um, and on this rocking horse with milk in one hand and graham crackers in the other. And, um, and I just remember the feeling of warmth and love and welcome. So, so my life at home's falling apart, and I'm I'm taking care of myself. But I come to the church, and and the love of Jesus and those ladies that that formed me. That formed in me a feeling of love and warmth. That 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 church is a place that that you want to be because that's where people 
Uh, that's with the grace of God. So I would say to any nursery worker, any child worker, oh my gracious, the ministry is amazing. So, so those are some things. Uh, by the time I was eight, you know, church, I had kind of left the church other than doing confirmation. My grandparents who had taken me were, had moved to, to Ghana, West Africa. My grandfather was the Dean of Agriculture for the University of Florida, but he had retired and then joined USAID and went and he taught at the University of Accra in Ghana and then uh, worked with the local villages to develop agricultural techniques. So they were out of our lives for about four years. And uh, so, um, but it was God's grace conveyed in baptism because I always wanted to know God. I always felt the need to find God and to talk. I talked to God even as a, even as a kid laying on my bed at night. I remember talking to him. So um, I went to church as a, I tried church in high school. Uh, things didn't work out. So, but, but God's grace was, was incredibly uh, there. I could see little pieces of it, especially as I look back now. Well, and that's a recurring theme in your story uh, in a message of God not giving up on you. And though your catechetical foundation was a little shaky, you were uh, indeed a baptized son of God. As such, your heavenly father kept showing up in your life. And though you can look to the second law of thermodynamics to explain a lack of resolve, maybe, uh, certainly we could all do that. There's no physical law that can explain why you survived what should have been a fatal accident. How did God plant a seed during this time in your life? Well, I appreciate that. And I, I, even in my high school years, when I was not really connected to a church, I still felt like I wanted to, to know God. And so as I graduated high school and began to work at this place called Pony Express, we were couriers with, working with the Federal Reserve, and that was back before computers. So we're talking... Uh, the eight, 1980, uh, I began working with them in 1979. So um, I, had, I had been out with uh, taking some of this work to the Jacksonville office. And, you know, one of the things as a teenager, as I had related earlier, my attitude, uh, some of my own brokenness caused me to feel a little uh, self-destructive. And uh, which probably contributed a little bit to my willingness to launch out that afternoon uh, into oncoming traffic. But uh, I realized that after the crash that something graceful had occurred. I, I didn't exactly know what it was, but I knew God was involved. So, you know, it's impossible. You know, when I walked away, when I had kick out the, the windshield, what was left of it to get out, you know, and that car was it was a it was a station wagon. And it was absolutely, completely totaled. And, uh, and they had not invented airbags. So we're talking 1980, no seatbelts. Um, you know, I started reflecting on that. And then, of course, as you know from the article, also six months later on that motorcycle, uh, God's protection was fairly obvious. So um, I had to confess that, that a couple of other vehicle events were very similar. And I'd have to add that it's... Um, not just that I've had miracles, but I know that innumerable miracles have been had by everyone. The question is whether they go unrecognized 
or whether we recognize them. Because as you know from our daily morning office, so the last prayer that we that if you're with a congregation and not doing it on your own, that, that we pray together. In the middle of that prayer, it says this, we bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. But above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. For the means of grace, so we have baptism, Holy Communion, and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that we, with truly thankful hearts, may show forth your praise. So, so right there in our sacred liturgy it reminds us that that god's miracles god's grace happens regularly the question is are we aware of it so uh i think it happens to all of us these are just two from my life the question is do we see these mercies or do we dismiss them so um that that that's just two of them though there's been many more from them. And I shudder to think about the <laughs> the ones in my own life. So I'm going to pick on another preacher here. There was a preacher in my childhood church who had a famous sermon about his salvation entitled Four on the Floor and a Fifth Under the Seat. And I thought about that sermon as I read your story. And so we fast forward a little bit. And here you are sometime later listening to Mickey Gilly in a cowboy bar called The Lone Star, which gave me visions of urban cowboy dancing in my head. And for the uninitiated, this may seem like an unlikely place for you to meet God again. But for those of us who weren't born with a clerical collar around our neck, this was exactly the kind of place God works. What happened there, Canon Marshall? I'll, I'll be happy to tell you. I, I will say first, though, I just got home from the Metro with uh, coming in from the Pentagon, and, and I was still wearing my cowboy hat, the same one that I bought back in 1980. So my cowboy hat's 42 years old, and I'm still wearing it and because it reminds me of where I've come from and, and who I am. But uh, really, uh, my grandparents uh, are come back into the scene again, honestly. They came back from from Africa, and my grandfather uh, acquired the farm, the ranch, that he was raised on uh, and that his his father had, and uh, it had uh, 23 acres of citrus and uh, 50, 60 acres of, uh, of cattle ranch, and so I had had a loss in my life, as many of us off do, a girl. <laughs> I had dated for over a year. We'd planned to get married, and then I founder with somebody else. So I was kind of, remember that angry kid? Uh, there I was again. So I went down to work on the farm with my grandparents to get away from it all. And, uh, and while I was down there, my grandmother was taking me back to church. So here I am and uh, dropped out of college, by the way. Here I am, dropped out of community college, down on this ranch working, and she takes me to church. And so I um, and something in my soul just sung, and uh, I, I worked with the youth while I was down there, and the youth, youth director said, you know, when you go back to Gainesville, there's this, there's this Methodist church in town, uh, and they have this youth director that, used, that was raised in this church here in Plant City, and he's up there. You go to that church when you get back. So um, I went back to Gainesville a few weeks later, and sure enough, 
uh, well, actually, sure enough, I went back to the bars. <laughs> so here I was in the Lone Star, Mickey Gilly playing, mechanical bull throwing people, including me, by the way. And and uh, up walks a friend from high school, sits down next to me at the stool, and then his girlfriend comes around, and two or three other friends come around. And, and we are talking, and they said, hey, tomorrow's Sunday. We're, we're going to church. I said, okay. And they said, why don't you come with us? Okay, well, where are you going? And it happened to be the same church that 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 the youth director down in Planet City had told me to go to. So sure enough, I feel like God came into that bar and pulled me out and took me down. Uh, and I so I entered that church and found what I had been looking for. And I got involved. I became I became employed with the youth group, uh, working as an intern. And uh, was called to the ministry there. And just a side note about that, it was Trinity Methodist Church. The side note is they, after I moved out and went off to seminary, the people, that church, which was kind of like a mega church for the day, it was in the thousands of people, they, their building got too small for them. And so they moved off to another and, and left that building, sold it off. Now, that building is an Anglican church in Gainesville. So, so the one who was called to ministry left, left the Methodist church and went to the Anglican church, and the building did too. So, uh, what a what a great thing! So that's a pretty God good way, isn't it? And got me. Uh, he got the building. Yeah, that's that, that boat Jesus is in is pulling a pretty good wake. That's what happened. So you wrote in uh, your article that you pastored a United Methodist Church in Florida for 13 years, but struggled to feel satisfied and complete. And you knew that you were following Jesus, but you yearned to feel at home with the right sheep, with the right biblical and historical faith community. And while the Methodist tradition was founded by Anglican evangelicals, by the time you and I came along, there had been some major changes from the old Southern Methodist Episcopal Church that my father grew up in and that you had uh, lineage in from your experience. What was the landscape of ministry like during the 1990s and early 2000s? Sure, sure. Well, yeah, I, I did go to Duke, um, and uh, which, which is a Wesleyan Methodist school, um, but in reality, it's actually not Wesleyan. It's Anglican, as, as you pointed out. The Methodist Articles of Religion come from our 39 articles. The Methodist Book of Worship was actually John Wesley's occasional services that, that he cut and pasted from the Book of Common Prayer and just replaced elder and deacon with priest and deacon. And then his 52 standard sermons, which I studied and parsed in my theology classes, all came cut and paste from our book of homilies. So John Wesley's reform was really not one of theology at all, but it was really a kind of a, a fresh perspective of operationalizing Anglicanism. So consequently, by the time I came out of, out of the, uh, the seminary, I was not a formed Methodist. I was a formed Anglican. And, uh, and so, uh, that, that, I, but I didn't know it, of course, I didn't know it until later. Um, so yeah, what was it like 
Well, I've actually pastored four churches in Florida. I was associate pastor in First Methodist Church, St. Petersburg. Uh, when I first got out of seminary, that was that was a challenge because the pastor was one of the very liberal pastors and loved to ridicule my convictions on abortion, on Holy Scripture, and uh, that seemed to be a favorite pa- pa- pastime of his. But uh, so then I moved on to Miami and pastor was a senior pastor of Palm Springs United Methodist Church. This is a little two hundred member church down there in uh, in Hialeah, Florida. And uh, the the people there and the people in all the churches that I pastored uh, were just salt of the earth, great people. They uh, they put up with me as this young whippersnapper minister. Uh, I pastored at uh, Auburndale United Methodist Church, was was just such a great place. That was a, about a four or five hundred member church, and that was the last church I was in before I uh, before I went on active duty. Uh, the people were gracious and kind and eager to know Christ. The problem was, as as also with the Episcopal Church, is that the corporate organization, uh, the cler- a lot of the clergy, uh, bishops, uh, that that Scripture was not priority that over the years uh, all the way back to the you know to the Boston uh, movement out of Germany the uh, the theological constructs were breaking down from the kind of the, the German reform of uh, um, Boltmann and such that um, classic Anglicanism or even classic Wesleyanism was not not being taught or preached. And, uh, and so I got in as a good classic Anglican, I got involved in pro-life ministries. I was on the board of directors for the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Miami. I was the chair of the board of directors in Citrus County on the board of directors in Auburndale. I was always a part of pro-life ministry and was even on a board of directors that helped Christians struggling with uh, gay and lesbian uh, feeling, thinking, urges that we could apply the grace of God towards healing. And uh, but among the clergy that I, I talked with about this, or we tried to reserve space in their churches, they were opposed uh, to anything that we were involved in in this situation. So my wife uh, Christy took on the national division of the United Methodist Women while we were in Auburndale here in D.C. Uh, because they were using local, they were using all the church funds. Of the, that the women, you know, worked hard and donated. They were using it to fund pro-abortion lobbies and and all kinds of things, but they weren't telling the people back at the local congregation. So my wife did the research and wrote the letters, and so consequently, it was tough to be to be involved, uh, you know, from a from a clergy standpoint. We I would go to the denominational meetings and was was not very well appreciated. So. But what stirred me to be a chaplain, you know, as we think about that, was really it wasn't it wasn't that the church wasn't following following God's call. It was that my call from the Lord began to shift. As as you know from me relating in my article, I really uh, struggled over time, all the way back from seminary, because I had been classically Anglican formed and didn't know it. I struggled with the biblical issues. I struggled with um, with the sense of that I was in the wrong place, but I did not know which way to turn. I, I read the Westminster Confession. I looked into the Baptist Church, and like so many other folks that, that searched and searched. Um, 
So God did specifically call me to go uh, become a, uh, a chaplain. And, and I actually didn't want to. I, I, I had been over, I had been a reserve chaplain and gone over to Patrick Air Force Base for the last four years. And every time I showed up, the chaplains would, you know, go visit and they would leave me to take walk-in counselings. That's so, so typical. <laughs> so, so typical. <laughs> yeah, Fortunately, so it's getting much, much better out there. Yes. Yeah. It, it, people are much more intentional about mentoring now. And, uh, but my impression of chaplains was that's all you did. When you sat in the chaplain, you waited for counselees, but you know, I'm much more of a go out and get into stuff kind of chaplain. That's why I liked the, the law enforcement chaplaincy. You know, I'd go riding patrol cars. We'd go get into stuff. You know, we'd go, uh, you know, it's a risky business, but I'm very comfortable in risk. And, and that's what I was finding was the struggle in, you know, taking care of the, the sheep in the pen is, is a wonderful ministry. It's, there's a lot of great ministers that just have such shepherd hearts for the, you know, for the people in the, in the pen and the pews. And, but I'm one who has to feel like I have to get out, go out, climb off out of the pen and go find those sheep that are in harm's way, beat back the wolf and, and, and take care of them. And that's, that's what I found my calling to be. And there's plenty of that in the Air Force, and we've talked a little bit about that as far as military chaplaincy here on the show before. And so you entered active duty in 2002, uh, right after 9-11, and in 2009 you were assigned to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs where you had the opportunity to meet someone near and dear to both of our hearts, the now Bishop Mike Williams, how did you encounter, how did that encounter vector you for the future? I distinctly remember the day that he walked into the chapel. Uh, it, well, it was the four-year area. He was coming to, uh, to ask the wing chaplain, the senior garrison chaplain there, to uh, either be involved or designate a chaplain to come be involved in a, in a ministry that, uh, that was just getting started. And when he walked in the door, uh, you, you know, I'd, I'd mentioned before that, that I had always had this search that I was in the wrong place, uh, but I didn't know what it was. And when he walked in that door, I heard God's voice in my head say, that you go talk to him. My timing is now. He has what you need. Wow. <laughs> so wow. He's... He came in and we sat down in the wing chaplain's office. There were four, all of us chaplains were there. And, uh, and he started presenting, uh, what this, uh, welcome home initiative was the ministry he started presenting it. And, and I looked over the wing chaplain. I said, I'll go. I mean, he hadn't even asked yet. I was like, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> everybody out of the way. I'm going. So that, in, I, I went to that initiative. I met Bishop Jones, Bishop Benham, and it was just, it was like one of those retreats you go to that you just feel this God, the Holy Spirit doing just marvelous things. And I remember uh, Bishop Jones just saying, you know, ask me anything, you know, whatever you want to know. And so I just peppered him with questions. And the more I talked, the uh, more I asked, the more I could sense this rising of joy. And so he said, well, just go back, go home and think about it. And um, and so the next day, so it was a two day 
two day conference and went back the next morning and I, I went in, in the church there in, in uh, Colorado Springs. I found the bishop and I said, I, I, I want in. And he said, he said, he says, the, he said, I was in the shower and the Lord told me that you were going to come in today and you were going to say that you wanted uh, to be a part of the Anglican church. So it's like, this is just God's move. But, uh, but here's the, another interesting piece of that, that, uh, that you may not know. I don't think I, I mentioned this was that I wasn't the only one at the time at the Academy that was going through this call to Anglicanism. So Peter Fisher it was uh, Father Fisher, Peter Fisher was, who's just retired as an Air Force chaplain uh, out of Guam, out of Anderson Air Force Base. Uh, he was at, up at the Academy Chapel. I was down at, the, uh, at the, the Permanent Party Chapel. He was going through this same sense of calling. The senior Catholic priest, uh, 06 chaplain, uh, uh, he came down to the chapel, and he called me, and he said, he said, I want you to make an appointment with me, and I want you to get to the other. There was actually two, two other ones. That, not two, I didn't know about either one of these. He so said, one, I, one of those was Steve Cuneo, right? Right, Steve Cuneo, Peter Fisher, and myself. And you're getting called to said, Father Bob's office. We All three of us did. And he said, we want to know. He says, I want to know what's going on because I'm being accused of running an Anglican seminary, and I want to know what's happening. <laughs> So I was with Father Bob Bruno. Uh, he he was our GS priest at Langley Air Force Base. And uh, you know how it's important to have the testimony of one or two uh, more people. And I can attest to the fact that uh, this story was told to me exactly by Father Bob Bruno, <laughs> exactly the way that you're telling it. <laughs> well, you know, and that's, the interesting thing is we told our own stories as I'm conveying them now. We our story we can't we're coming from different places, but the story was the same. And and years later, you know, as I began I, I ran the tutorial for the probably for the first three years. Um, and, you know, and due to work concerns I had to, to give it up to much better people. But you know, I would have 15, 20 chaplains going through the tutorial with that, that I was leading, facilitating, and every one of them had the same story. It, it, it's, it's, you can see God the Holy Spirit bringing people to this sacred, one apostolic and holy uh, church that, that it, it is a, it's a move of God, as Bishop Jones talks about the every 500-year business. It's we are at that mark that there is not just a restoration, uh, but a reformation going on. And, and it's so exciting to be a part of that. It's such a cool story to be able to, to relay. And, and uh, I wondered if that was the exact same time when Father Bruno was there and some of the other guys were there, and you affirmed that today. One other thing that I'll point out, too, is that um, Bishop Mike is not one of these guys that goes around saying, the Lord told me, the Lord told me, the Lord told me. If he tells you that the Lord said something to him, that may be one of five times in his life that something like that happened. And and so these are real God encounters that we're experiencing. These are not just simply um, hyperbole or a figure of speech that Canon Marshall and, and I throw out. You know, the other, the other piece to that uh, is... That, that there's this convergence of 
of historic classic Anglicanism and the evangelical piece that that comes together with this. And I would have to say that I see that that the evangelical uh, piece uh, has a lot to offer. That uh, you know this strong biblical conviction of sacred scripture, uh, of of you know aligning our holiness of heart and life that you know John Wesley talked about, uh, as well as as the Anglican traditions of this the sacred liturgy and an emphasis on a sacramental life uh, that there's a real fusion that both have something to give. And I think the as we explore more of finding our roots in classic Anglicanism, we, we see that in the formation within the English Reformation and the tug of war between opposing views that are really seeking to get to the same idea within the ancient future faith, to use some of those some of those words. And uh, you were right in the beginning of some of these efforts within our education uh, training and formation or our ETF program. And I wonder if, if we might go off script just a little bit and if you would share with, with our listeners that may be tuning in for the first time and uh, exploring Anglicanism and just what is it do we offer as far as education and training for people wanting to be a part of the Anglican Communion? Well, absolutely. And, and with the podcast, you're adding a whole new dimension. Uh, because, you know, in any, in any setting, in any educational or formative setting, there's a, there's a funnel to this. There's, there's the wide net, and then there's the, the kind of more the directive funnel that continues to, to grow and, and uh, mature us from a, I guess, what Bloom's taxonomy would call cognitive, affective, and psychomotor. So you've got this, and the podcasts reach such a wide swath of people and have a ripple effect of helping people begin to think through uh, all their questions, their thinking about Anglicanism and the historic Christian faith expressed through the English Reformation. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been able to be a part of that marvelous uh, tutorial, that nine-month uh, tutorial that really, and it's not, uh, as you know, it's not a didactic, you know, here's what you have to learn. It's a, it's a, a journey. Uh, it's a, it's a reflective journey encountering a reformed, uh, historic, ancient Christian process with the, uh, theological uh, richness of, of the sermons and the books of homily and the understanding of how the liturgy goes all the way back to the beginning from outlined in Justin Martyrs through, uh, through all of the early saints. So it's, it's a marvelous uh, exploration. One of the things that is still in the evolving phase that I, that I see is as we as chaplains, uh, you know, are distilled out into the, the wider community, it gives people with questions a chance to be mentored by a chaplain, by a, a, you know, a faithful, uh, experienced uh, person that, that, uh, that can help answer their questions and actually let them watch them do this. 
Um, because I think that's something that has taken a while to mature. It's because somebody, you know, I know back in the early days when we were doing this, we'd have somebody in Hawaii, we'd have somebody with questions they wanted to be in the tutorial, but they had no church. They had no uh, place where they could go see in action or be mentored by uh, a, a clergy, by a priest from the faithful Anglican uh, community. And, and so that's happening so much more now because we have so many more that can do this. It's been a real neat thing to be a part of for sure. And, and uh, this year I've been able to facilitate a class. Last year I was able to uh, proctor next to Canon West and listen to his version of how he does this. Before that, I was in Dan Harden's um, class and listened to how he did it and taking things from here and there and then listening to uh, these candidates for postulants for ministry, then becoming deacons and seeing them become priests uh, as they serve in their various ministries or complete their education is both humbling and rewarding and always, always amazing to see how God the Holy Spirit guides people through a very similar, similar story. Stories uh, is what we've been focusing on this past year as we looked at all of these wonderful articles that were written in our JFAC journal. Canon Marshall, we've certainly enjoyed having you on the show, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been my honor, and uh, and I hope something that, that that we've discussed, you know, may be helpful to someone. Uh, it, it is it's a privilege to be a part of this great move of God, the Holy Spirit, um, and to participate with some some just phenomenal uh, servants of God in our clergy and our bishops. You've been listening to the Classic Anglican Podcast. We look forward to being with you during our next episode. To learn more, join us online at www.anglicanchaplains-etf.org. Until then, stay strong in the Christian faith once received and keep Anglicanism classic.